strictly weights With Bert and Hayes We lift the weights and go on dates And we are mates that educate and conversate And it's our podcast! Weekly Weights with Alex and Will Hey everyone and welcome to episode 94 of Weekly Weights. I'm Alex Hayes. With me as always is Will and joining us via Zoom is Anthony Krisner. You want to say hey, mate? Hey, what's up, guys? Uh, thanks for coming on, Thanks man. for having me on. Thank you for coming on. No, thanks for having me. So Anthony is a uh, very prolific lifter who was with Powerlifting Australia and he's just transitioned over to competing pro and he will eventually be in GPC as well. Um, he's got a really storied background in lifting. He's been lifting for a long time. Very strong guy. He's the owner of Apex Strength. And they've also got their own podcast as well called The Strength Cast. If you guys want to check that out. Um, is there anything else you want to add to that, man? No, just that we're going to be starting The Strength Cast again soon. We kind of dropped off on that because uh, moving the gym, we just moved to a way bigger area. So it was just a bit hectic. But yeah, that's it, man. Like super keen for this. Awesome. So I guess where we're going to start today is your background in lifting. How did you get into lifting in the first place and when was your first competition? Um, so I actually started out as a teen, like most people do, when I was about oh, 16 or 17 uh, with Tyler, my business partner and best mate. Um, so I trained for about a year and got some really bad advice. It was just like going to the gym, growing out every day and eating like a bowl of couscous and two things of tuna a day. And I lost like 20 kilos. Um, and then I started working at Crown Casino. So I stopped lifting for three, four years. Uh, came back up to about 110. So my lightest weight I've ever been is 81. And then I was walking about 110, 112 of just pure, like, unadulted lard. Um, <laughs> and my boss at the time, uh, his dad, do you know Paul Coffer, the weightlifting coach? From, like, the 90s, I coach heaps of Olympic, like, medalists. Nice. Um, so he's a really good weightlifting coach, apparently. And... Um, he, so he, my boss was his son and he was actually always talking about powerlifting and, and strong men. And, uh, I was telling him how, you know, I used to do some training and he got me back into the gym, uh, and was more strength focused. Um, and then like, I went to the gym with him. I squatted like 180, deadlifted 200, benched hundred, my first session back. Uh, and the rest is history. Like that's what got me in. So he got me on a program straight away. Um, and yeah, like he's really the one that secured me for powerlifting. And then I moved to England at 21. So just after I started lifting again and I competed a year after that, I signed up to a club there with a lot of uh, IPF lifters. That's what got me into IPF. It was GBPF over there. Um, and then, yeah, competed after a, about a year, a year and two months of lifting again. And what were your numbers at your first comp? Um, off the top of my head, it was 265 squat, 175 bench and 300 deadlift. And that was about a year and two months of lifting. So it was like a 735 or 737 total. So would you say that you were a talented lifter or a not talented lifter? <laughs> um, I don't know <laughs> if I'd say, I'd say I'm lucky. Like, you know, not many people walk in after not training for three, four years and squat 180. Um, you know, but I always trained hard. Like I remember then I was doing Chico and I was adding in extra days, like two extra days a week to it because I just wanted to train. Um, so I trained hard, but definitely lucky, man. Like, you know, I, I guess I've never been most, except for when I've cut a lot of weight. I've never really had times where I stall significantly. Like I've always just been able to add weight to the bar or at least maintain strength on cuts. Uh, so pretty lucky, I'd say. Like talented, if you want to use that word. Before we um, jump further into lifting, I'm curious, what were you doing working at the casino? Um, I was working at a restaurant, but oh, okay. I was doing like um, night shifts. So I was doing about 70, 75 hours a week, night overnights. So I'd start no at 5 p.m. and finish at 6 a.m. And then I'd go train when I started again. That's gnarly. Um, I was hoping you'd be telling us you were like handling high rollers or something, but either way, that's <laughs> no, no, it was boring then, but uh, you know, it saved a lot of money, which is why I could travel for a couple of years. You could probably work security there now. Yeah. Yeah. Probably. They actually asked me a few times when I was there. That's hectic. Okay. So you ended up in the UK, you've done your first comp. Um, at that point, had you decided that powerlifting was going to be a serious competitive endeavor for you? Yep. So before that, when I was a teen, I did my, my cert three and four in fitness, but kind of dropped off on that to work at the casino. Uh, so I went over there, started training with all the powerlifting boys, um, really just got bit bitten by the bug. So I started PTing again over there. Um, 
competed and I was just like, yep, this is a sport for me. Like I've got, you know, (laughs) I love sport, but I've got really bad fine motor skills, bad hand-eye coordination. So I've never been great at anything. Like I could play rugby just because I was big and fast, but that's really the extent of it. It was never really that good. Um, So yeah, I I competed and I was like, yep, this is it for me. I I kind of, at that time I was like, uh, you know, like everyone does had that dream of making my life about it, right? Opening a gym and that, and that all happened pretty fast. That's cool. And so we're going to skip ahead a little bit because when Alex and I were talking about this just then, our first memory of you, the lifter, um, was in 2016 when you were at IPF Worlds. Um, and we'll get to the specific incident that we're thinking about. Um, but how did you qualify for Worlds? And then what was it like to have that experience on the world stage? Um, so how did I qualify? I actually came back to Australia and Rob Wilkes called me uh, when I signed up to Powerlifting Australia. He's like, you're Anthony Krasner. You did this 7.30 whatever total at your first comp. And I was like, yeah. And he's like, where are you training? And I went, oh, I'm going to go down to this local powerlifting club. And he's like, no, you're an idiot. Come train at Melbourne Uni. Um, (laughs) So me not knowing anything, I went and signed up at Melbourne Uni. Um, And, you know, I drive an hour and a bit there out and back three days a week. Um, And then I think what what happened was he got me to compete at Canberra. no, he got me competed at Sydney. So I, world was my fourth comp. Um, and I think that qualified me. Then I did one more comp. I squatted 316 in my third comp. I totaled like 800, I think, or 801 because of the chip of the record. I, um, I remember that comp, man. That was, I did that comp in Canberra. Yeah. Is that, it was the one in March, Liz right? Craven's comp. That was, yeah, it was Liz Craven's comp. I got comp. a um, notification today. It was four years ago today. Yeah, yeah. Oh, far out. No way. <laughs> I remember I remember you being on the news for that comp and they were asking oh, you about dear. what you eat and you're like, oh, it's pretty hard to get all the food down. Yeah. <laughs> so embarrassing, man. So I have like, <laughs> I, I have really bad social anxiety and they shoved the news camera in my face. It looks like talk, talk. And they're like, what's the hardest thing? And just being a big idiot. I was like, oh, the eating's pretty hard. Yeah. Like, oh, and this awkward laugh. And that's, and then they asked me more questions, but that's literally only thing they included. And I had people from Melbourne uni sending me that video for about two years afterwards. Like, uh. that's so awesome. Uh, yeah. I qualified it? at that one. How good is it when people have like social anxiety and they have one social interaction goes badly and then they get lampooned for it forever and it just like ingrains <laughs> <Yeah>. it <laughs> like yeah it was so bad man like but actually doing our podcast helped a lot with that um just being a bit more confident in speaking right yeah for sure okay so you qualify yeah. for it yeah go on no no sorry i was gonna continue it yeah you so you qualify um you had a run into worlds worlds in 2016 was in colleen texas in the united states how old were you at the time uh, I would have been 20, it was my, it was June. So I would have been 23. It was my last year as a junior. Okay. So you're competing as a junior at Worlds. Um, and tell us what happened. So on the advice of my coach at the time, Wilkes, I went four days out. <laughs> um, and I was walking around about 142 and then ended up weighing in at like 134. Uh, just because it was so hot and humid there, I couldn't like stay hydrated. Uh, the plane obviously dehydrated me. Um, so I got there, uh, you know, four days in advance. Uh, everything was <laughs> feeling all right. Um, step on the platform. I do my first squat. I think my, my opener was like 300 or 295. Um, did well, but I don't know. Like if you ever see the video, my form back then was really bad. It's taken a long time to to kind of get over that. Uh, so then I go for second place on the squat. You know, there's no chance of getting first. Andy Ascal scored a 366 for the world record then, the junior world record. Um, just an absolute beast of a man. Um, so I go out in the second. I think I did three, 312 or 315, and it was, it was hard. So I come out back and Wilkes is like, you know, don't do a third. You don't need to do a third. You got second place. No one else is close. And I'm like, no, no, I want the PB. I want the PB. So I go out there for 320. Um, I get under the weight. Well, actually I walk out, you know, being a junior lifter, you kind of, uh, you know, it's a bit embarrassing when you look at videos of yourself. I came out, I headbutted the bar, my glasses fell off. So I had to put my glasses back on and <laughs> just an absolute idiot. Yeah. Like, you know, everyone thinks like, I'm like, I'm going to be the best in the world. Um, so I, um, I headbutt the bar 
glasses come off and <laughs> just look like an idiot, get under the weight. And I bomb into the hole. And I just remember hearing this tear. And I actually thought my uh, wrist wrap came undone um, in the hole. And, I, and I, I went to come out the hole and I just lost all power through my right leg. And I felt a ripple from like, my hip to like just above my knee. Um, and then I just yeah couldn't lift the weight up. So the spotters didn't take the weight. They, they couldn't. Uh, so the back spotter kind of grabbed me by the belt and yanked me out from under the bar. Uh, and that was how Worlds 2016 ended. Like I did... I did a 170 bench, I think, or 175 bench and like a token 65 kilo deadlift. Uh, so that was, wait, actually, that wasn't even a, to secure a record in my mind. I had you squatting a record. So what no, what a, motivated you to finish the meet? To get points for Australia or what? Um, yeah, like to get points for Australia, but it was also more, honestly, for myself. Like, you know, I'd flown to Texas. It was my first international comp my first big event and you know there was no way I wasn't you know putting up a total even if it was you know 300 kilos lighter than ever um I just wasn't going to walk out of there and just give up like so I went out and benched what I could but you know I'm a pretty stubborn guy and as much as I like to all my lifters go you know oh it's not all about competition do it for yourself I'm a pretty competitive guy um and I guess it was just that that pride thing right like I'd come so far I didn't want to not total even if it was a really bad one and um, what you were describing was a quad tear in the wash yep. up from that competition. Um, how severe of a diagnosis was it? So it was just a grade two and I'm lucky it was like in the belly. So um, like I came back and I retore it twice actually <laughs> uh, within like three, four weeks. I tried to like two weeks later, I tried to clean and jerk 140 and retore it <laughs> obviously. Uh, yeah. Again, just an idiot of a junior lifter. Like I uh, hadn't developed that maturity yet. Right. I just had everyone blowing smoke up my ass and like, oh, you know, you, you're unstoppable. So just bad mindset. And then I retore it again, uh, demonstrating a front squat like two weeks later after that. So then I like went to my physio and we really dialed in my uh, rehab and came back like four months, five months later and PB'd the squat. I did 330. That's cool. So it and wasn't... Oh, you gone. Yeah, in the grand scheme of things, like it wasn't... Like it, it was a... It affected my lifting for a while, just mentally, but really in the short, like in the long term, it has had no big impact. It was just, you know, a bit devastating. I think it's funny you say that because a lot of people's time horizons as lifters are very short. So when you say, oh, you know, five months later, I was like fine. I was back and better than ever. A lot of people are like, fuck dude, five months. That's like a lifetime in lifting, you know, but really it's a drop in the bucket. Hey? Yeah, I think it's one of those things, right, where especially as a junior lifter, um, you know you, you find a lot of junior lifters are so focused on being competitive as a junior and like might be setting junior records or being a high-ranked junior you really don't realize that powerlifting such a long-lived sport right you don't need to be your best until you're in your 30s or i mean look at liz craven she's what 43 uh and you know she's still at the top of her game so she's old really in the end sorry i said she's old <laughs> Just hoping she's listening. um yeah <laughs> Uh, it's one of those things, right, where, yeah, like five months really, if you want to be a good lifter, if you want to have a long time in sport, is nothing. Like, you know, that's why I was never worried about cutting for a year. Like, it's not a big deal. Alex, you go. You mentioned a few times now that obviously juniors have this this mindset of like wanting to be good now. Do you use these stories and your experiences to shape like your junior lifters now when you're coaching them coming up? 100% man it's something we really try to steer people away from uh, you know we did a podcast on and we call it that junior mentality right um, where you're trying to beat your peak in three years and it's just not realistic uh, so yeah I do use these stories a lot I use like uh, talking about here my own I guess you call it arrogance at the time like not I don't think I was an arrogant guy but in my lifting I like you know I always like oh you know by the time I'm 25 I'm gonna be competitive in the opens and that and you know uh, so yeah, I do use that a lot. And it's something I really caution my lifters is not just trying to look six months ahead, a year ahead, look to be a best lifter in five, 10, even 15 years. And you mentioned being pretty gung ho about lifting generally and your quad after the injury. Did you have any signs leading into the competition that everything wasn't right? Like, did you have niggles or any problems? Yeah, yeah, I, I really did. Um, you know, there were a lot of signs. And the thing is, I'd, I'd done three back-to-back -back comps with like two, three months in between them um, leading into Worlds, like just peak after peak after peak. Um, my quad was in pain, like leading up to it. Um, you know, it was 
it just it'd feel like a lot of time I'd have a cork in my quad and that. So there was probably like a little tear there already, to be honest. Um, but you know, at the time, you know, it's hard to tell someone that's never experienced an injury or any any setbacks in lifting um, to be careful and it'd be better to pull back. I remember David James actually telling me, uh, you know, don't go for PBs, just go there. If you can equal your total, that's a good international comp. But again, you know, David James, twenty something years of experience, me being. 23 and two years into lifting um, was like, nah, nah, you know, I'm going to go there. I'm going to PB. Like it wasn't a question. Yeah. It's funny. Like I have also had a reasonably severe muscle tear. I tore my hamstring off the bone and I also had pain leading into it for quite a while. I, in fact, I had very good indications. There was something wrong that I ignored because I was exactly like you. I was 23 young and dumb and didn't want to slow down. But I've also thought back to it and thought the amount of my clients who sort of will complain to me about general physical discomfort where I have an intuition that there's nothing really wrong and they can keep going and they're fine. Um, but I, but I myself would be able to discern perhaps where something's feeling like it's going to lead to an injury as opposed to just a niggle. And I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure actually how you go about drawing that line, even with the amount of experience that I have it's purely a matter of intuition to me now. Whereas then I'd have ignored the intuition entirely. Well, how do you approach that type of problem? So it's one of the things like, you know, a lot of communication with lifters, like, like you said, you know, like I get people messaging me all the time. Oh, this muscle's tight. This muscle's tight. And you're like, well, is it painful or is it just tight? You know, are you, are you just, is it because you did a back-to-back session this week? You got a massage on the weekend. So a lot of communication, but something we're really big on is just, you know, refer, refer, refer. Like no matter who you are, you don't know everything. So we've got a group of good physios we uh, work with. Um, and we, you know, if someone is, if we're like, oh, you know, they've complained about this a couple of times or the way they're describing it doesn't sound good, we'll refer them, get them to email us. Um, and then, you know, they'll come back and be like, yep, you know, they're good to go or no, we should make these adjustments just as a precautionary thing. So, that's one of the things we do. And, you know, I think the only time it gets a little bit, um, you know, wishy-washy is when someone does say doesn't have the money to go see a physio, right? That makes it a little bit harder, especially when you come in with like juniors or sub juniors. So when it comes to that, you know, as a coach, I'd much rather err on the side of caution. Uh, again, you know, you take a week, two weeks of, you know, lighter lifting, uh, some prehab stuff, or you get injured and you take three months off. Like the choice is yours. I know which choice I'd, I'd choose because a week, two weeks isn't really going to impact that much. Like one week doesn't make a training cycle. One, one lifting session doesn't make a training cycle, but if you hurt yourself because you know uh, you're ignoring pain and everything, then that can impact a year or two years of lifting. So in your time as a junior, um, how, how were your, how are your recovery strategies and your practices outside of training like how conducive were they to you being an elite lifter really? Um, I had none. I, I, I never did any recovery work. I, like whether it be, you know, stretching, foam rolling, seeing a physio, um, like none at all. I'd, I'd go in, I'd start warming up on a hundred kilos for squats or bench. Um, and then just power through the session, go home and eat and probably drink beers or something. Like, <laughs> I, I actually want to pursue the drinking beers one. Because that was a subtle way of bringing up something else that you divulged to Alex and I, which is that in a past life, you're an alcoholic. You were consuming a very large amount of alcohol regularly. When did that start and did it coincide with your training career? Yeah. So, I mean, I'd always been a big drinker, like my whole life, you know, from quite young, like uh, something that it's pretty rampant through the family. I never thought of it as an issue because when you're 19, 18, 20, everyone's getting together on a Tuesday and drinking. Like, you know, if they don't have work on the Wednesday, I'll start late. Um, it got really bad when, Oh, when did it get really bad? It got really bad at like probably around the time worlds was on. I remember it was a really big deal for me not to drink for a week before worlds. Um, and it was really hard, right. Which shouldn't be, uh, you know, like I haven't drank for months and that's, I don't even think about it now, but you know, um, yeah, so it was probably a bit before Worlds 2016. Uh, and it was about mm, two years there, maybe three leading up to that. So probably from 2015 to like 2018, 2017, where I was drinking heavily. And then it got to a point for about two years where I was drinking daily. Uh, and that was a time like, you know, so after I tore my quad, it really ramped up because I wasn't training as much. I was doing upper body. 
uh, and coaching. So after I tore my quad, before that, I was concreting. After I tore my quad, I started coaching full time because I couldn't go concrete, couldn't carry steel, and you know, um, you know, help pour or anything. So I, I kind of uh, quit that. I talked to my boss. Um, so what I do is, you know, I went from working at five, six a.m. in the morning, finishing at three or four, going to train, to well, everyone just wanted to train in the afternoon. Like I wouldn't start coaching till five or six, so I didn't have to get up until eleven or twelve. And then I, you know, I'd get up hungover, I'd go train and then I'd coach for a few hours and go home and drink. So that's when it was really bad for a couple of years. So I, I'd, I'd literally go to the gym, co- train coach on the way home. There was a bottle that always had good deals. I'd get a slab of beer or, you know, a bottle of scotch or something or bourbon, go home. Um, you know, a lot of time I'd play video games and just get absolutely written off every single day. Um, and then, you know, I'd fit in a couple of days a week to program for my lifters at the time. I wasn't doing anything online. It was just all in person, which made it a lot easier. And it was all small group training. So I had about 15, 20 clients. Uh, so that's literally all I'd do is just, yeah, coach, train and, and just get plastered, um, which is like I was saying to you boys before is one of the reasons I was a super heavyweight, right? That's really when I packed on the pounds. Um, I got up to about 145, 146 walking around weight uh, and I'd eat, eat a lot and I'd track my calories. But, but then, yeah, you know, 20, 30 beers, well, there's 120 calories in a beer. Um, yeah, it just wasn't a good time. So I just get plastered. So that it was, my training went well at the time, like I'm sure it could have gone better. Uh, my body composition really took a hit. Um, but you know, I was squatting like 300 kilos for reps every week. And, you know, at the time I was benching like 212, 215. Um, so as far as it impacted my lifting, I'm sure it did, but not enough for me to stop. So it got really bad. When it got really bad was when it started impacting my personal life. Like I stopped going out and seeing people. Like it was really bad. It was a really bad time. Um, I stopped going and seeing mates. Uh, and then I had a really big, and I was never like an angry drunk or anything. You know, I just sit at home and get drunk, play games, pass out on the couch, get up, go to go train. I have a shower, go train. Um, and then I had a bit of a hiccup, a really bad night with, uh, you know, my best mate and, and my siblings. And that's when they, they all sat me down the next day on the drive home. We were up at the Murray River. And it wasn't that I was aggressive in that. It was that they didn't realize how bad it was. And I was, you know, at the time, you know, like I mentioned before, I've got uh, pretty bad anxiety. Um, and I was drinking to try to escape that, I guess. But that led to a depression, literally just from the drinking. And I hated where I was at with life and that I couldn't stop drinking. So they sat me down and... Uh, you know, it was a three hour drive home. <laughs> so, you know, there was no escaping it. And they were all really good about it. And, you know, I remember Tyler being like, dude, you, you want to be an amazing powerlifter, but the way you're going, you're never going to be there. Like, you know, you want to be a coach. You say you want to open a gym, but how are you going to do that when for eight hours of the day, you're absolutely written off. Um, so we had a big chat and the next day I stopped drinking. I uh, went and uh, I went and got help. I went and saw a psych and everything, got my anxiety sorted um, and I didn't drink after that for, so I went from daily drinking almost daily, like, you know, 90% of the time to, um, not drinking for two years. Um, cause my issue was always, I couldn't just have one beer. So if I had one beer, it, it means I was going to have enough beers to pass out. Like I couldn't moderate at all. Um, so then, yeah, I stopped drinking for two years and I was like, all right, like, you know, I was with my partner at the time and I was like, I was in Malaysia and this is last year. And I was like, I think, I think I'm ready to, you know, cause it always said, I'll, 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 if I can, if I can handle it, I'll, I'll have beers again. I love beer. Like I love scotch. Um, and I was there and I was like, you know, I think I'm ready. I think I can have a beer or two and not have that craving to just get written off. And I did at the time. So I, I had, well, I was over there with her parents and um, I had like three or four beers my first time. And then a few days later I had another three or four, um, and since then, like, you know, I can go two, three months. I won't think about alcohol. Now, if I want a couple beers with some mates, I can have five beers and leave it at that. Whereas I've never been able to do that. What was it about you that you think changed that made you able to start having moderation and perspective when you started drinking? I think it was uh, just not not wanting to escape myself, right? Like not my, my brain... I, I think I needed to stop drinking to get my mental health sorted. Um, and yeah, I, I guess I just liked myself more. Right? At that time, I'd cut weight. I'd drop, you know, I, I don't care what anyone says. I'm all for 
um, body positivity. And I, that's one of the things I love about powerlifting. Um, it, you know, is that we can fit so many different shapes and sizes in to the sport. And, you know, as long as you're lifting good and you're progressing, then that's great. That's all we care about. Um, but not once did I look at myself at 140, 145 and like what I saw, right? Like I hated the body I was in. Um, so that was a big part of it. And then the other part was, you know, the other massive part was getting my mental health sorted. So I wasn't just trying to, I guess, escape myself. Right. I think that's an experience that I can kind of mirror Like I was in high school overweight. I was playing rugby at an elite level, but I was still like 116, 118 kilos. Didn't like the way I looked. Didn't like the way people treated me. And I felt much, much better about myself having lost some weight. But what was interesting was when I was most fixated on how people perceived me and how I looked, which was when I was actually at my leanest, I was probably least happy again because it was the center of, it was like the center of who I was. And once I got to that point where I had like a healthy level of pride in who I am, what my body could do and how I looked, but I wasn't entirely obsessed or defined by it and nor was I ashamed by it because I wasn't fat anymore. That's when I was at my most happy. Does that make sense? Yeah, 100%. And I, I agree entirely. Like I think, you know, being a super and then when I was 80, 81 kilos at 17, like my mental state with my body was probably the same, right? Like obsessing and, and just what, like, at, at, you know, 81 kilos, I always just wanted to be smaller and smaller. Um, no, I definitely agree with you there. Which again is one of the great things about powerlifting though, is that it's not just how you look, right? It's how you perform. Um, and there's a lot to be, you know, you can celebrate someone that's 160, you can celebrate someone that's 52 kilos, um, you know, but it, it, you need, in the end, I it doesn't matter what anyone says, you need to be at terms with and like who you are. And if you're not, you know, um, as long as it's reasonable, like implementing change to that, because like, I remember I, I'd never get haircuts. I'd never look after my beard. Um, when I was a super and that just cause I didn't care, I already didn't like everything else about myself. So who cares what, what I look like? And then that, you know, the simple fact is just not like, you know, I was always hygienic, but not self grooming, not looking after my beard or my hair, um, not getting haircuts and that automatically changes the per uh, people's perception of you. Yeah, totally. You, you're presenting yourself in a, in that way. Yeah. And I think, um, I want to attribute this to our friend Bray Wyatt, but it, it might Absolutely not have been her. <clears throat> but it was talking about, is that a Pepsi or a beer, by the way? That's a mother. That's oh, a mother. Okay, what's up? Um, it might not have been Brie that said this, but certainly people have, which is that body positivity doesn't run entirely counter to the idea of like looking after your health and appearance. And one of the expressions of like loving who you are is wanting to put your best foot forward, wanting to treat yourself in a way and present yourself in a way that you can be proud of. And that might mean saying I'm super proud of myself as a super heavyweight powerlifter. Look at all the things my body can do while still taking some general care of your health. Or it might mean looking at yourself in the mirror and saying, Hey, like I'm a fundamentally good person, but the way I, the way I look and the way my body feels right now doesn't represent what I want to be. And I'm going to make changes. Both of those are like their acts of self love just in different ways. You know what? Well, I agree with you 100%. Like, you know, I couldn't have said it better myself. I think an issue I, do see with you know the whole body positivity thing is and i'm all for it like i celebrate it and again that's why i love powerlifting but is that when you do want to make change uh, it's almost like a, a small percentage of people but it's like they get offended like why can't you just love yourself at 145 well man i don't i don't like myself like you know it's not just the fact that i'm 145 but i just don't like myself and if i want to be more confident and if i've got a way i want to look as long as no one else is putting that pressure on me, then that should be celebrated, right? Trying to improve myself in my own eyes. Yeah, absolutely. I agree entirely. Alex? Yeah, 100%. Alex is sitting there just comfortable that he's always been attractive. But, <laughs> you know, if you haven't plumbed the lowest of lows, you can't appreciate the highest of highs where Anthony and I now sit. <laughs> I'm just a seven and a half out of 10. <laughs> yeah, comfortable seven and a half. Oscillated life. between six and eight your whole life. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah, Mate, actually, I had to work hard for this five. It's <laughs> all right. It's five more points than you were a few years ago, apparently, right? It's true. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned that you got up to 145 kilos and then it was at that point you stopped drinking. How long after you stopped drinking did you get down to 120 where you ended up competing in the next class down? Uh, the whole cut took me about a year, but it was amazing. Right? I, cut, I cut out drinking and I lost about oh, eight, 10 kilos in like three, four weeks. Then that was the only change I'd made. Like just bloat and just the extra calories and everything. Right. Um, 
So I'd lost, yeah, eight to 10 kilos in like less than a month just from not drinking. I was still eating like four and a half, 5,000 calories. Uh, and then I really started dialing in my calories and about, it was probably about eight, nine months of actual cutting like calories and that to get down to 120 and compete. Cool. Well, I think we should take a quick break and we'll come back and talk a little bit more about your transition to pro roll. Welcome back. We're here with Anthony Krisner. We're going to jump ship now and talk about you jumping ship to Pro Raw. Nice, Alex. So, um, as I'm sure everyone knows by now, you have decided to compete in Pro Raw this year. It's not going to be going ahead, unfortunately, due to coronavirus, which is unfortunate, but probably the right decision. Um, what prompted you to make this switch of federations? So, it's funny because people think... Um you know, I've copped a lot of flack for it, but I've also had a lot of support like from you guys and a lot of the PA community and a lot of the powerlifting community. But the people that are vocal that are anti me switching are very vocal, right? In my DMS and that, which is fine. Um, but there's this idea that I just did it on a whim when I'd planned this since I started competing. I was like, I want to go untested. I want to go raps. I want to do this. It's just, it's not if it's when, um, I was actually going to do it last year. But because we were still in the small club and that it stayed, it made more sense for us to just both be PA coaches because we get a lot of support from PA. Um, and, you know, we help out PA where we can. And then when we moved into the bigger club, I was like, talk to Ty. I'm like, all right, we're going to switch. Um, I'm going to switch because we're losing, like, I don't know what it's like in Sydney but or New South Wales, but here, GPC is massive. And um, so we're m- missing out on a massive market and, you know, we couldn't coach those guys in comp. And as you know, that's a massive part of the coaching, the in-person coaching experience, right? Is having your coach there on comp day. Um, so we invested in the equipment and now, you know, I coach some untested guys, some GBC guys and girls. Um, so it was more one, something I always wanted to do. And two, it was a business decision, right? To expand on who we can coach and actually coach for powerlifting and competition. If, if I've got what you've said right and correct me if I'm wrong, Tyler will be staying with PA so he can handle those lifters and then you'll be yes. being GPC so you can handle those lifters. So across the two of you, you can cover all bases. Yes, and we've actually got more PA coaches at the gym now as well. Um, so we've got – it won't just be Tyler handling everyone. Um, but we're still a PA-affiliated club as long as they'll still allow us to run uh, PA events. We don't have any plan to run GPC – events or anything like I, I love PA like I had some lifters ask me like oh sh- should I switch I was like why why would you switch just because I'm going like so I, I you know they're staying PA like we're still support I support PA wholeheartedly I love it they've done a lot for me I love competing there this is just always part of my plan um so I've had no lifters move over like all my my lifters my 30 something lifters that were with PA are still with PA so you mentioned um a few things about the differences so untested equipment what was the biggest reason why you decided to switch out of those two or out of the the factors that are different uh the the biggest reason was me and my personal goals um wasn't specific equipment uh, it was me and my personal goals wanting to compete on that platform wanting to compete untested um in wraps and stuff and just really seeing what kind of numbers i could put up in that respect and so to you is, does Pro Raw then represent more of a sort of powerlifting pinnacle than something like IPF Worlds would? Like, is it that the weights are bigger and the guys are bigger and stronger and shit that it means something to you? Um, no, I wouldn't say it, it. I wouldn't say it's more. It's more what I envisioned for myself when I started powerlifting, though. That's the kind of thing I wanted to be involved in. Um, the other thing is, like, you know, I'd, I'd, I wouldn't go back to the IPF, I, you know, just with the whole... PA being kicked out and I don't like how the situation was handled on both ends. Um, like I, I support APU. I think, you know, they, they just needed to give the lifters an avenue and they did the right thing. But uh, the actual IPF, I think this, you know, they need to iron a lot of stuff out to the point where that, that was never after all that happened. It wasn't an option for me to go back to IPF, but yeah, from the day I started competing, I was like, this is where I want to be. This is what I, you know, when I watched powerlifting videos and that's how, where I always wanted to end up. For sure. So, now that you've been training for Pro Raw, and we know it's cancelled, but now you've been training, you have probably had to implement some changes to your training and your technique in light of the different equipment that you're using and some of the different rules. 
So how have those changes actually impacted your training? Um, so the different rules didn't have a massive impact, like, um, you know, still squatting below parallel and stuff, but some things that did help were like the squat bar, massive, massive difference, not getting thrown around in the hole from the whip with like 330, 340, uh, really helped my positioning with wraps. I needed to change my form, um, you know, raise the bar a bit on my back, stay a bit more upright. Uh, mono helped a lot. <laughs> not walking out is like, I don't care what anyone says, not walking out in the wraps will add so many kilos to your squat. If you've never experienced it before, like it's night and day, uh, feet up bench helped a lot. Now on the whole being in wraps and stuff, um, I'm doing less volume on lower body than I ever have because we knew the weights, like I just squatted 380, right? We knew the weights would take a massive jump. Um, so we dropped the frequency. I'm only squatting twice a week now and, and dropped the volume just to cater for that massive spike in intensity. Um, and same as deadlifts. I'm doing less deadlift volume than ever just because I can lift more in a deadlift bar, right? So um, little things like that had to change with programming, which I'm very lucky my coach was really good at because he's experienced both sides. Like, you know, sleeves, power bars, walked out and wraps, monolists and everything. Um, so, you know, that was... I think the big programming impact as much as upper body didn't really change that much. I actually increased my volume. Um, but with lower, we dropped it quite significantly. Um, it's interesting. You, there's two things you said about the squat that jumped out at me. One was that with the wraps, you want to stay more upright. Um, I presume that's because you want your knees to travel further so you can use the wrap more. Is that the reason or is it because the weight on your back is heavier and being bent over? Some? No, you like, the way it feels to me and the way it's being explained to me is getting that, that more rebound from, from the, the, the wraps. Um, also it makes it a little bit easier for me to hit depth in wraps, like doing my usual suit, like pretty low bar. I, I could not hit depth at all. Uh, my positioning was just shocking. Uh, we raised the bar quite a bit and, you know, I could really open up my hips, let the knees travel forward, like you said, uh, and be really poppy out of the hole. So now if you see, I'm not going to miss a, a squat in the bottom now unless I get injured. Uh, it's actually like the last third of the lift that's the hardest now. Do you think the um, width of the bar had an impact on where you position it? Like, would it be more difficult to get a thicker bar down lower? Uh, I don't think it's more difficult to get down lower, but it, it does, you know, change the squat a bit like you're just getting more coverage on your back right so you know you can generate more force it's less it's less whippy and it feels it actually feels comfortable a little bit higher say opposed to a power bar um like i get no movement in the bar now like rolling or anything when i always that was always an issue with power bars for me yeah, um, right. but yeah like all those things like uh, you know i'd be lying if saying thicker bars longer bars stiffer bars um you know, not walking out didn't make a massive impact on how much I could squat. I'm interested about not walking out as well, because for me, unracking a bar with anything other than a narrow stance is hard. And I can't imagine setting my, my stance width and finding my balance appropriately without also moving my feet. Was there a bit of a learning curve for you working from a monolift to actually have your stance and your balance set properly? Yeah, it was massive. Um, it was actually a massive learning curve. So it, it's just like when I first started, like, you know, like you were touching on it, it's almost like I was missing a part of my setup. So like it's, it just felt off. It's like I wasn't braced as well. I wasn't as tight. So I had to work on like, you know, getting a really big brace, almost being ready to squat just for the unrack. So being in your starting squat position for the unrack. And that was a really, it's like taking out two steps of your setup, um, which was hard. But now that I, I do it, you know, it, it feels a lot better, but yeah, it's like um, initially just taking the last set of last step of your setup and putting it as your first. Were you concerned when you, um, when you started being like, shit, I'm going to have to rework my technique and like change some things about my training. Were you ever concerned that like you mightn't, be as good um, with these new changes or you might be less competitive in pro raw than you are in, in tested lifting? Um, not really, honestly, no. Like um, I knew it would be good for me and the simple fact like the deadlift bar already added heaps of kilos to my deadlift. Um, and I knew like I, I did a real ugly 345 squat when I first started in wraps, walked out 
and at 120, or I was probably about 117, 116. Um, so I knew the numbers were there. I just had to refine everything and, and dial it all in. One thing I have noticed though is there's, uh, for myself personally, there's a lot less on the squat specifically, a lot less margin for error now because you're handling weights, say you can't handle without wraps. Um, so if I do fold a little bit, I lose my brace a little bit. I'm not quite tight enough through my back or I'm not pulling the bar in. Um, the chances of me missing the weight go way up. What have these experiences taught you about coaching others or programming or teaching technique to other people? Um, there's definitely been some, there's definitely been some good carryover with like, um, like teaching people how to brace properly in that. Cause when you do it yourself, right. It's like after learning, after doing sumo for like four months, I could coach sumo way better. Um, you know, just with bracing, but on the whole, like with programming that hasn't really changed that much. Um, you know, I guess I was more, a bit more sympathetic. Like I've always been able to train really hard and recover from it. Like pretty, pretty easily. Um, handing these super maximal weights, right. Say on squats, um, I guess change the way I coach a little bit, coach really strong people. I implemented, you know, um, more the way my coach trains me a little bit more conservative, shorter, shorter, say squat blocks compared to say bench and, and deadlift, um, shorter squat cycles, uh, more frequent deloads for the really strong people. But on a whole, uh, not much has changed, man, because most of my lifters are still PA. Sure. Is there anything that you think, um, the GPC or pro or federation could take from the IPF or WP or even vice versa? Do you think there's any ways they could refine, either side of the spectrum to make them better? Look, I think if you ask me in like six months or a year when I've done more comps in them, like in GPC or untested, like in those feds, I'd have a better answer. Uh, as far as it goes now, I think, you know, <laughs> but I've always had this this point of view. People like, um, people squatting close to 400 kilos, like uh, squatting it on a power bar is just unnecessary, Right like people like Ray Williams, Tony Reinmuth and that, like it would be way better for them to, for most of them anyway, to squat on a, on a squat bar. Um, to be fair, but all powerlifting is pretty unnecessary. Like, <laughs> like I don't think I've ever by necessity been like, fuck, I'm going to go, you know, deadlift 290 or something today. No, it's true. Like, <laughs> but like, yeah, I think just the different equipment, like it's a tool that can be used, um, you know, people would shift more weight, but if you're not like, I don't think PA and that should be adding in wraps or anything, but just maybe like squat bars and that. But outside of that, one thing I really like with uh, PA and say the IPF, um, and again, I can't speak for all these GPC comps because I've only seen a few and I haven't competed in any yet. Um, but one thing that PA does really well is uh, standardized like refing, like refing courses and doing a certain amount of comps and hours. And I think if every Fed did that, you know, and this isn't just say, I don't know what GPC stands in this, but you see a lot of these big um, invite only like untested meats and wraps. A lot of the time, a big part of the draw is having like, um, like celebrity referees. So, you know, having standardized referees, I think would be a lot better. There'd be a lot less room for error or a lot less complaints. Like you see a lot of lists get passed that are complained about a lot. So I think you could just, negate a lot of those with standardized refing courses and doing a certain amount of hours and stuff. Yeah. I think, um, I've heard on peak speak, shout out to peak speak, not, okay. not really fuck peak speak. <laughs> um, I've heard them talk quite a bit about the standard of refereeing in GPC meets being really good as well. Um, apparently they do have those courses and apparently, um, you know, that's something, this is something that Marcos really harps on all the time. I don't know if you follow him on Facebook. This is something that he talks about all the time is that the standard of refereeing in Australia is a lot higher than other meets. So when people come over for pro or big dogs, they're actually surprised by, you know, what the specific standards are here and they might do a little bit worse than expected. And I think that's good though, right? Like, you know, it happened recently with a lifter in an untested lifter in Australia where they did a comp set Australian records in their weight class um, and everyone's talking about on social media or a lot of people talking about social media and the lists were just not to a good standard. Um, and it's one of those lifters that were that seek out comps where the refing is quite slack. Mm. Uh, and you know, like I said on my Instagram, it's just, 
Like if that's a standard you want to lift to, then fine. If you're happy, like I wouldn't be happy with that myself, but what you, who you really have to feel bad for is then the people that have to follow that up in well ref meets, right? Mm. Like that want to go for the record and they're doing it to the proper standard. Like it's just, you know, like mitigating that is really important. And I, I do agree. We have good refing here. Like pro raw has got really good refing too. I think it's more of a issue say on invite only comps, internationally is where you see it a lot as well mm. or there are some feds in australia or some not feds some comps where you know you know you can go and, and get like some pretty dodgy lifts passed yeah i um i remember the guy in the u.s open last year who squatted um i think it was an all-time world record but he afterwards realized it was high and he said he didn't want it to count yeah yeah, yeah i think um there was that guy is it andrew herbert or whatever he's instagram yeah, herbert love bug yeah, that's yeah he, he just did that recently um, mm-hmm. where he's like, I don't, you know, I saw the videos. I don't want these pass. And I think while that shouldn't be necessary, it's really good to see lifters holding themselves to a higher standard. Something like Kevin Oaks really big on as well mm-hmm. is just holding yourself to the standard because in the end, there's always going to be dodgy calls. No matter how well you train referees, you know, you're looking for something in a split second. If someone squats quite fast, it can be hard to see if they actually hit depth. Yeah. Um, things like that. If you're not on the right angle, you might not see someone's, got soft hips on the deadlift. Um, so yeah, just on lifters, like, you know, you should also not just rely on the refs. You should also be trying to keep yourself honest and training to that standard as well. Yeah. On that note, I've recently taken to inserting like cricket box guards just above my knee, um, underneath my knee sleeve. And when I squat, if you look at it from the side or behind that little extra bump just raises my knee crease really considerably. It means that like getting to depth is very easy. So, you know, people can also try that. That's a strategy that's definitely proven to work by me. What do you think of that? <laughs> I have no idea what, what cricket box things are, mate. I don't follow cricket. <laughs> oh, really? You know, the, you know the little plastic things they put over their nuts so that if a ball hits oh. them? <laughs> Amazing. Oh, I'm going to maybe implement that. <laughs> 100% try it. Um, okay. The, the, the other thing when we talk about pro raw... Um, that we've got to cover is the perception of very widespread drug use in untested powerlifting. Um, again, you haven't been, you haven't really been over there very long, but what's your take on how prevalent drug use really is in untested federations and how much of a problem do you really consider it? Um, look, I think when you're talking about just GPC, I know a lot of GPC lifters that are natural, right? Um, I think when you talk about these big invite only comps, like, like say pro Bowl, like say the U S open and stuff. Um, I think it'd be re- you'd be really hard pressed to find people that aren't enhanced. Um, just because the way, you know, you're getting invites at a high level. Uh, if people are switching, they want to compete at that high level, right? Like it'd be rare. Someone's going there or staying there and they're going to try to do it naturally. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think on a whole, say with untested feds like GPC, you'd be surprised there are a lot of people that aren't on drugs. Like I know heats. Um, I'd say people in those feds on drugs are a bit more of the exception, even though it is still common. It's not like it's a low percentage, but it's not as common as people think. But on those big invite only, I'd say, yeah, it, it is quite prevalent. As much, how much of an issue? Um, I think when you sign up for these comps, you know what the goal is and you know, you're, you're committing to that. So, so if, you know, if you don't want to go down that path, then there are other avenues like, like IPF, like world powerlifting, uh, where you can compete on a big stage and be tested. Um, yeah. So I wouldn't say it's an issue per se. I think the issue a lot of people have now is that you just, there's this new, there's a big group of people that just don't care about how many drugs they have to do though. Right. So you've got people slamming so many drugs and like, um, again, if you want to do that, that's, fine like you know i'm i'm not here to tell you to do that or not do that but i think it's like it comes to the point where it's like how many drugs are you willing to do and if you're on the same level uh your training's just as good as someone else's but they're willing to do double the drugs like what are the chances of you beating that person well probably not very good right um again but then you'd also be surprised at like uh, talking to high level untested lifters about some of them don't take a lot of drugs some people are just freaks you know you got people totaling over a thousand that aren't on a lot of drugs like at all but then you've got people that are totaling 900 that take more drugs than anyone else will in their life yeah it's interesting because what you just said is one of the big arguments 
that people make against allowing drug use in sport is like, at what point do you cap it? It just becomes a race to the bottom. You know, um, like you can't really standardize it and say like everybody can take tests, but no more than a gram or something like, right. There's just, there's no way of restricting that. But if you yourself say, Hey, um, you know, the proverbial you yourself say, Hey, I want to use, I want to use drugs. I'm interested in maximizing my performance, but there's like a risk reward trade off. I'm not willing to go beyond a certain point. Then your competitive aspirations might be capped. Like you said, by, by how much drugs you're willing to take. If your competition, the competition are willing to do more and you're within touch of them. And then you get stuck between the rock and the hard place of saying, do I settle for always being second best or do I take the step that I didn't want to take in order to fulfill a dream that was there for me? You know, that's a hard and question when, to answer. And when you start out, it's easy to be like, oh, I'd never do more than this, right? But then, you know, a few years, five years, you're getting beaten by these people or just getting beaten and you know they're doing more drugs. Well, then the chance of you doing more obviously increased. I think though it's important to, it comes down to why you compete. Like, uh, like the whole thing, like with, with uh, say in PA, me versus Cam McKenzie. And, and when I was cutting to 105, people were like, oh, but we wanted to see that. And it's one of those things where like, I'd, I'd, I'd make jokes and I'd, I'd laugh and people make jokes, but I don't, I never really cared. Like, so for me, competing is just the best I can be. So I don't care if I get someone out totals me by 50 kilos, if I'm doing better and I'm reaching my goals. Like my big goal is like to do 1,050 kilos or more total right um i don't care if the world record's 1250 like that's my personal goal and that's what i've always wanted to reach uh, you know that kind of level which is a higher level but if someone's doing better well good for them like and whatever they have to do to that that's their prerogative like they're more than welcome but it just comes down to why you compete i guess i think it gets a bit more dangerous when you do get those people that uh win at any cost um and that's where you do get that rampant and irresponsible drug use right but mm -hmm. again it's your body do with it what you will. It's just not how I think. Yeah. And I suppose win at any cost people are probably the ones who are less likely to have a self-imposed win at any cost, unless it means taking more than a gram of test like limit, you know, they're going to say win at any cost, take the drugs it takes to win, not the drugs I want right. to take. Didn't, didn't Pete Rubish do a video on how he was taking trend for like a year straight. Uh, he's, done a, he's done a few trend videos. Like I'm yeah, not really up to date on Pete Rubish's trend use. Yeah. Well, he said <laughs> he said he doesn't do it anymore. But like that, but just the idea of that, like it's such a toxic drug. Someone willing to do that to themselves, like, is just to me, I can't even imagine. Right? Like, it's like, man, like that's the big sacrifice for some extra kilos on the bar. Yeah, I don't even want to take creatine, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's the same reason why I'd never go up to one forty again, you know, or super heavyweight again, because the toll on my body just wasn't worth it. Yeah, that was one of like the things the, I was going to ask you if you had any goals to move up or were you going to stay in the 125s? I'll stay in the 125s. Now that Pro was cancelled, I'll cut back down to like 116, 118 because that's where I feel comfortable mm. um, and then come back up for comps. Like, But I don't want to even walk around 125. Like, I walk up the stairs now to go to bed and my missus is like, why are you so out of breath? Like, you know, I'm like, is, uh, like breathing heavy. Is there the option for you to... Because it's 24-hour weigh-in for GPC, right? Yeah, but not pro raw. But if you is there not a one one ten class in GPC? There is a one ten class, but I'm I'm not a fan of twenty four hour weigh ins because of the big cuts. So I'll do what I do what I did in PA, which is cut weight properly. Maybe just skip breakfast, maybe dinner the night before, have have a liquid meal, and walk in on weight. Like I'm not, I'm really not a fan of twenty four hour weigh ins just because of the risk it is to the lifter, and I don't think it's a reasonable risk. It's not something I'm willing to do. Like I've got mates that are fighters, you know, one of, one of my mates, he fights in UFC and you see what he does to himself to make weight. And it's just not like, you know, not worth the performance, not worth the risk. Like I don't want to feel like that. And I also think, you know, how could I walk around at 116 weighing at 109.9 .9 and then call myself a 110 lifter? And sure, I get yeah, there's, I, a, I, there's I, an art. I completely agree with that as well. Yeah. And there's an art to cutting weight and you've got to you have to respect that. It doesn't mean I agree with it though. Mm. All right. So I uh, put up a story on my Instagram asking my followers to ask some questions. So I'm going to give you a couple quick questions and you can just give me a quick answer. All right. This, this will take a couple of minutes. Ready? Easy. All right. So skanky Joe asks, has anyone surprised you with being severely upset about leaving PA? 
Yeah, multiple people. <laughs> you know, I had one person who's a gym owner messaging me, be like, "Are you losing your mind? Like, you know, all we've done for you in PA, like, you know, you're turning your back on us, and you know, you've you've lost your mind. Like, you need to go see a psych and stuff." So, yeah, a lot of that kind of stuff. Crazy, crazy. Um, Jack Motivate asks if you shave your beard, will your total drop to? My my total probably dropped to about seven fifty. I've done that once. <laughs> Better than both of us. I was going to say that's appalling. All right, we're going to take another very quick break and then we're going to hit Krishna with the four questions that tell us everything that we need to know about a person. Weekly Weights. Weekly Weights, episode 94, Anthony Krishna, four questions that tell us everything we need to know about a person. Question one, Alex. Krizna, if you could take anyone out to dinner, dead or alive, who would it be? Oh, Jesus. Um, that wasn't my answer, by the way. <laughs> um, Surprisingly, we haven't had that answer. Yeah. Easter's coming up. Um, yeah, go on. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> um, if we could take anyone out, dead or alive, who would I take? I mean, Easter right. was technically both, hey? Huh? <laughs> 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 or, like, or everyone's just not quite sure. Well, during you know? Easter, he was dead. And then by by, yeah, mon- by Monday he rose, right? No, nah, because they turned up and the well, stones Sunday. rolled away, and they're like, "Where is he?" And they were like, "He is risen," you know. On the Sunday, was that Sunday? Yeah. Yeah. True. All right. Um. So it's I don't not have, Jesus. I don't have a super like introspective answer. I just I'd take John Goodman out because he seems like a good guy. He's my favorite actor, and you know, he seems really nice. Who's John Goodman? Like seriously, he's the jolly. He- comedian he played uh fred flintstone in the live action movie but he's done a lot of good movies <laughs> like in um you know the big lebowski and stuff oh okay okay big lebowski oh that's all you need just to say someone i've always wanted to meet <laughs> yeah awesome question two um who's your favorite athlete of all time favorite athlete of all time um i am going to say What's her name? The, the, the not really starting well with the favorite. Someone I just always respected a lot was um, she was the eight hundred meter runner for Australia. She's Kathy indigenous. Freeman. Kathy Freeman. Yeah, she's amazing. Really, like always, like kept up to date on her as a kid and everything. Um, always really inspirational. Yeah, that moment when she won gold. She won gold in the four hundred, didn't yeah, she? It was four hundred. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was like yeah, that was like bring tears to your eyes. My parents were there. Yeah, really? amazing, and she worked hard. Yeah, now that was huge. All right, question three: Which movie or television character do you most resemble? <laughs> um, physically or as a personality? Uh, we'll take both, but like overall response. I want to, what's his name? Kevin James. <laughs> Kevin Paul Blart Moorcock. <laughs> <laughs> but it wasn't in Paul Blart Moorcock, he's clean shaven, right? Right. Kevin James is always um, clean shaven, isn't yeah. he? Yeah. Oh, okay. no, no, he has a beard sometimes. <laughs> Who's got a sick beard uh, in Hollywood? Um, I don't know. Who thought that was a sick beard in Hollywood? Hugh Jackman as Wolverine had a pretty sick beard. He's too shredded for Chris just an yeah. average you're just a <laughs> you're a bit of a beard connoisseur oh, mate <laughs> i've had you, one for a long you time be john uh what's his name who was the guy you said Paul Blart, Paul kevin Paul. john goodman <laughs> oh kevin <Right>. james <laughs> you can be kevin james with james harden's beard yeah, nice. yeah. <laughs> all right question number four your life is being made into a montage you get to choose the music that it's set to what music do you pick i just want to like the Rocky, uh, was it Rocky Four, or where? Of the Tiger uh, or the da na na. That da-na. one, that one, and just like because I think it'd be amazing because my life's so boring. So like I'm sitting there doing programming or playing video games, and that's going on. I'd feel pumped, man. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's a good answer. Okay, man, you got one more job. Um, tell the listeners who want to get in touch with you, maybe about coaching or check out your gym, where they can find you online and in person, how to contact you. So in person, you can find me at Apex Powerlifting, which is at 52 Gaffney Street, Coburg North. Uh, online, you can contact the Apex Powerlifting or Apex Strength um, 
Instagram or my personal one, which is Anthony does yoga, um, which I do not. But if you message me, that's the best way to get me. Don't contact me on Facebook because I never read messenger as Alex figured out. Mm. Anthony does yoga. I actually very much liked that change. He used to be just like Anthony Krizna, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, this is much better. Anthony does yoga. I like it. All right. I'm Will yeah. Berkman at w.berkmanpt. I'm Alex Hayes at Alex Hayes underscore process. Thank you very much. And we will talk to you next week. Oh, next week, by the way. So announcement, we passed hundred K yesterday. Yeah. Oh, we're doing this next week. Congrats Congratulations. to us. Thank you. So we are going to do a game show. Oh shit. Yeah. And so we're bringing on uh, a client of ours each to be the host of the game show. And they're going to quiz us about each other and about lifting and about general knowledge. And it's going to be a drinking game as well. We're going to get real fucked up. (laughs) I'm going to listen and drink on that. (laughs) (laughs) Don't, not too much. (laughs) Four or five beers max. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, four or five beers and I'll be plastered, mate. It'll be game show over because I'll be on the floor. All right. (laughs) Thank you, everybody. We'll talk to you next week.